Open your Bibles to James, the fifth chapter. I'm not likely to say that sentence again for a while. Because this is the conclusion of our journey through the epistle written by James. We're in the fifth chapter, the last two verses, verses 19 and 20. And then we will uh, move on. Uh, next Sunday morning, a standalone sermon and then a new series beginning the first Sunday in August. And uh, that will be entitled, What in the World is Happening? So that will begin uh, August the 4th. Now, if you want to close your eyes and think about this, you can or you keep your eyes open, doesn't matter. But I want you, each one, to think for a moment. Think of someone that you know who used to be very faithful in church, but is not any longer. And it's not because of health. It's not because they go to another church. It is simply that they no longer give any appearance of being faithful to the Lord in their lives and certainly in church life. Can you think of someone? Uh, No, well, their names. Can you think of someone? I, I would have, I would venture to guess that every person here can think of someone. Someone that you know, perhaps you used to sit with them or sit near them or were in Sunday school with them. You can think of someone who once was very faithful but is no longer. When I was a teenager, our church had a revival, and it was a great revival. It went all week long. I'm old enough to remember two-week revivals, but this was a one-week revival. It was a great revival, many decisions for Christ. And on the last night of the revival services, there were two adult men, separate from one another, who came forward and prayed to receive Christ, or appeared to pray to receive Christ. It was an emotional evening, and apparently a lot of people in our church knew these two guys and were, I think, somewhat astonished at their decision, and it generated lots of uh, emotion in the evening. I remember my own dad appeared to know both of them and was, uh, was emotional about what happened, and it was a great night of rejoicing and celebrating. Now, over the weeks that followed... Both of those men were very, very faithful to the church for a number of weeks. I'm going to call them Jim and Joe because it's been a long time and I have no idea what their names were. I can't remember. We'll just call them Jim and Joe with all due respect to all the Jims and Joes in the room. Jim stayed faithful. His family began to come with him to church and he stayed faithful. His family stayed faithful and they were still faithful when I left home. On the other hand, Joe, within a few weeks, his attendance began to be sporadic, and then it became infrequent, and then, as it were, he went missing in action, not there at all anymore. What happened? I asked my dad uh, about that, and he he had an opinion, and his opinion was that Joe really did not come to know the Lord, that nothing really happened in his life, that it was just an emotional night at church, but that Jim 
had a real life-changing experience with Jesus, and it changed his life forever. Now, I know I'm missing some pieces. Uh, was there discipleship? Was there follow-up? I, I, I have no idea. That I was just a teenager, and it's too long ago. I, I have no idea. But today, we've got two verses that address this issue. So as is our practice, let's stand and honor the reading of God's Word. Just two verses, five verses, 19 and 20. Here's what it says. My brothers and sisters. So immediately, we know that the verses are written to believers. The entire epistle is written to believers. But here's some emphasis just to make sure we understand it. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let's be seated. If we thought for a few moments as I ask you to do, we could all think of someone who was once faithful to the Lord, once active in the life of the church, but not any longer. And it's not because of poor health and it's not because they've decided to go to another church. They simply don't go here or anywhere. And as you observe them, there appears to be very little evidence of a love for Jesus or serving Jesus and I hope that when we think of those individuals, it bothers us. I, I hope that it is a concern to us. I realize there's some degree of mystery here. Last week as we talked about prayer, I, I concluded, and I think you agreed with me, there, there is some degree of mystery involved in how God chooses to answer our prayers and what God does when we pray. There's some degree of mystery involved in the subject of the message today, reclaiming the wanderer. So I want us to get our arms around these things. And here's the first one. What did Jesus say about our hearts? What did Jesus say about our hearts? The mystery reminds us of the words of Jesus and the the four soils that represent the four types of hearts. Do you remember it from Matthew chapter 13? Jesus said a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. We're very familiar with that where we live, aren't we? We see that all the time. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, I move forward and Jesus gives the explanation for the parable. Here's what he said. Listen, here's what the parable means. 
When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but worries the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So Jesus says, there is the hard heart represented by the pathway. The seed is cast upon the, the hard ground and nothing happens and the birds come and they eat it. The hardened heart. Then he talks about the, the shallow heart. The seed is cast on ground that is very shallow. Beneath there are rocks. And so very quickly the plant springs up. But when the heat comes, when something happens, then the plant will die. We see a lot of that today in the shallow theology of our day that is rampant all across our land. We see a grace that Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. is isn't real, it's cheap. It's a, it's a theology where it's all about you or, or me. What can Jesus do for you? And Jesus is my buddy. But then something happens. And because there is no root, this person is not really a Christ follower, then they fall away. Thirdly, there's the cluttered heart represented by the thorns. Cluttered heart reminds me of my desk. I have a cluttered desk. Cluttered hearts. Hearts that are distracted by things of this world, materialism, health and wealth, prosperity. There is no fruit. And where there is no fruit, there is no real life. And so there is the cluttered heart. And then, fourthly, there is the fertile heart that produces a crop, a real believer True salvation, as James points out to us, and reminds us that true faith works. True faith is visible. It is seen. Now, frankly, these are sobering verses. And I want us... They're sobering verses, but at the same time, they're hopeful verses. That's what James intended to do. He's speaking soberly, writing soberly, but but he is offering us encouragement. He's offering us hope. And in that 19th verse, he makes it crystal clear to whom he is speaking, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, that who's that? Real Christians. 
real Christ followers. Brothers and sisters, if one of you, or that, that zeroes in, this is written to brothers, this is not written to lost people, this is written to brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, and he goes on to make the promise that we'll look at again in a moment. He speaks here of a temporary wandering. It's the implication, not a lifetime wandering, but a temporary wandering. Because James would say to us, if the experience of salvation is real to begin with, then we will see it, it will be visible. So Jesus addresses us about our hearts. So let's think for a second about a second thing that's important for us to remember. How do we get so far away? How does that happen? Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've observed it in others. How is it that we get so far away from the Lord? I'm through the years in doing memorial services, had an incredible variety of 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 opportunities. The joyous memorial service is one for the faithful Christian who has lived a faithful life and they preach their own sermon all I have to do is just verbally give out the material that they've already given me Uh, I hope whether you are 20 or 85 that you are preparing the material for someone to say someday about you but I've had others for instance uh, um, a man who was in his 80s And gave no evidence of being a Christian. None whatsoever. No church. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And and I remember inquiring, gently inquiring of, of a brother, his brother, about his life. And he said, well, I remember he got saved at the age of 12. I said, really, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, he walked forward at, at church and got baptized. He got saved when he was 12. I said, well, I'm delighted to hear that. What happened after that? And he said, nothing. Now, I didn't need to press him further because it was already uncomfortable for him. No growth, no love for Christ, no walk with Jesus, no love for the church, God's people. So was whatever happened at the age of 12 real or not? I'm not the judge. All I can do is observe. But I knew I could not stand up at that funeral service and proclaim That on the basis of something that may have happened when he was 12 years old, that only his brother could even remember, that this man was in heaven. I I couldn't do that. 
So I had to talk in terms of how does one become a Christian and then in death what happens to the Christian? Talk in general, generally, not about that person, but generally. We're not talking about a matter of the security of the believer. We are talking about, is this person a believer to begin with? How, how do we get so far away? How, how could that happen in the life of a person who's genuinely born again? Well, I, I want to say to you by experience and observation that it happens gradually, most often gradually. A person wanders away slowly, like, like a sheep does. We're called sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep don't bolt for the hills. They just sort of wander, 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 wander. And then the next thing you know, the sheep's lost. They're out there somewhere. Nobody knows where they are. Gradually, we wander slowly. I, I don't know that I've ever met a Christian who, who said, I woke up one day and decided I'm leaving my faith. Now, that may have happened. I'm not saying it's never happened. I've just never met a person who said that. It happens gradually as our prayer life dwindles to unreality. As the Bible lays on the shelf, and the Bible is our protection, and, and if it just sits on the shelf or the coffee table or wherever, church becomes sporadic and then stops, and our hearts grow cold. So let's ask a third thing. What are the consequences of wandering away? I think there's some real consequences. First of all, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to your witness. It's dangerous to your sense of eternal security. It's dangerous to your confidence in Christ. It's dangerous to your physical well-being. It's dangerous to your soul because we begin to live in a death-like existence. And it's dangerous to your spiritual growth. Because your growth is stunted. It it is damaging to the cause of Christ and to the church and to you as an individual. So let's get to what James wants us to do about it. So let's ask another question. How do we reclaim a life? How do we reclaim a life? Well, let's begin with the supposition that it's your life. You're the one who's wandered far away. Now, you'd say, you might say, Pastor, those people aren't here today. They, they, if they wandered, they wouldn't be in church. And by and large, that's probably true, but not necessarily 100% true. Maybe someone here today who is in the pew almost every Sunday, yet you know in your heart you are far away from the Lord. So if it's you, then there are three things that God would desire of you that all begin with an R, so help us to remember. Number one is to realize. Realize where you are. 
Yes, I have wandered far away. I realize I am not where I used to be and I am not where I'm supposed to be. So you realize it. If you never realize it, not anything you can do about it. You've got to realize where you are. The second R is to reach up. That's talking about prayer. We reach up and ask for forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness. I realize where I am. I'm sorry I don't want to stay here. So I reach up and ask for forgiveness. And then thirdly, recommit. Recommit. Fall in love with Jesus all over again. Remember the words of the Savior as he addressed the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. You, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Fall in love with Jesus all over again. Do you remember falling in love with him years ago? What happened as you fell in love with Jesus? Go back and recommit yourself to those same habits and patterns all over again. Now, if the life that needs to be reclaimed isn't yours, but it's a brother or sister, then what? And some of you may be thinking, I'm thinking of my spouse or my parent or a sibling or a child or a neighbor or working. I'm thinking of somebody. I've got somebody in mind. Understand that by doing anything, you are running a risk. You know what the risk is? The risk is hearing the words that nobody wants to hear in the day in which we live. How dare you judge me? Anybody, anybody love hearing those words? <laughs> How dare you judge me? So just understand, going into this, there's a risk. <laughs> You've got to be a risk taker for the kingdom. But if you love that person, if you really are concerned about him or her, then doing nothing is not an option, even if you risk a negative reaction. Compare it to being a parent. How many times did you have to say to your children, don't do that. Were you simply trying to make their lives miserable? Of course not. You were saying to them, don't do that because if you do that, you're going to get hurt. You're going to be in trouble. Some consequence was going to follow. And because you love your child, you said to him or her, don't do that. Was that being mean? Of course not. That's being loving. Now, you know as well as I do, that's one of the slowest things for children to come to understand. But eventually they get it. 
normally when they become parents, then, then, oh, yes, I see the picture now. Now, there is a risk. But if you love the person that you're thinking about, it is worth the risk. So what do you do? First of all, pray for yourself. Pray for yourself, for your motives, and for your approach to this one you love. Secondly, pray for him or her that God will do what only he can do, and that is soften the heart. Thirdly, listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit and act as he leads. Number four is act in love. Act in love. Number five, be gentle. Number six, be direct. Number seven, be restorative. Now that, that is something we've got to be sure we get or the, all the rest of it will fall apart. Be restorative. The objective is rescue, not retribution, not punishment, not retaliation, not humiliation, not I told you so. It is reclamation, restorative. It's not justice. Stay in your lane. That's kind of a, a new term I've heard recently. Folks say you need to stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. You're not the one who passes out justice. And after all, we really don't want justice for ourselves. We want mercy. And remember the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 6 when he said, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. Or you also may be tempted, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, we're almost done. i got two more things I want us to get our arms around. This is the fifth one. What are the blessings of reclamation? James lays it out for us. What are the blessings of reclamation? First of all, he says, you will cover a multitude of sin. What? In the world, does that mean? The covering simply signifies forgiveness. The covering signifies forgiveness. And the multitude indicates the extent of that forgiveness, which is as far as the east is from the west, just as the scripture says. Come home from where you've wandered or we're saying to somebody that we love, I care, I care, will you come home? Rescue is available from loneliness, from guilt, from bitterness, from fear. And James lays out the promise right there for us. So let's finish it by saying, okay, what should we do now? I've heard all this. What should we do? What should I do now? Here's the division again. If you are the person who's wandered, 
And the Holy Spirit is really not talking to you about somebody else. He's talking to you about you. If you are the one who has wandered, then you are in full realization of that wandering because you've been listening. You know it. And so it's time to come home right now. Not tomorrow, not next month, not next year, but now. That realization, that reaching up, and that recommitment. Now, if it's someone else that you are thinking about, then let me encourage you to pray and act. Pray and act. Because remember, James says, faith works. Real faith works. Real faith is shown. So pray and act in a spirit of love, meekness, gentleness. Go to the one about whom you're concerned. And yes, it is a risk. Yes, it is a risk. But that 20th verse will remind us that it is worth the risk. For whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, you have spoken to our hearts in a variety of ways this morning. And so I ask that you would woo and draw people to yourself as you continue to speak to hearts. There is at least one, there may be a dozen in this room who have not yet trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, drawing you and calling you to the Savior. So in a moment when we stand and begin to sing our song of invitation, the invitation is to your heart to leave your seat, to come and place your hand in mine, and to say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. And a member of our staff will be here to pray with you, to open God's Word, to share with you that on this Sunday morning, you can enter into a personal saving relationship with Jesus. Now, there are believers in this room who have wandered far away, and, and you, you know it in your heart. You know you are not where you used to be and not where you should be. And so for you this morning, please realize your position. Reach up for forgiveness and recommit yourself to Jesus. If you want someone to pray for you, you can come forward. If you want to do that at your seat, do it there. But don't leave this place without doing what God wants you to do and drawing back close to Him again. Then some of you are thinking about somebody and you're struggling. I I know I need to do it, but I'm scared. I, I don't know how. I don't know what. Ask God for guidance, gentleness, kindness, directness, that as soon as possible you can reach out to that one 
and perhaps be the instrument God uses to draw that person back to where he or she needs to be. So, Father, with all of that in our hearts and in our minds, we ask that you direct us, guide us, and I pray that someone will come to know your precious Son in this place this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing.